Bibles to Matthew chapter 3, continue to remember to pray for our choir as they continue to practice hard for our musical, which will be on Sunday evening, December 17th, and it would be an awesome opportunity, an easy opportunity for you to invite someone to come that evening who doesn't normally attend church somewhere be a great opportunity for you to invite them to come to hear the gospel through a music uh, musical presentation. And I know that our choir has put a lot of effort into it. And next Sunday morning, our senior adult choir will be sharing some of the music that they have been working on. So a lot of things being prepared for us as a congregation. Let's read Matthew chapter 3, the verse 1 through 12 this morning together. The verses say this, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming out to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not, pre do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from those stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Strong words from a very strong preacher. Now, as we come upon this time of year, we talk a lot about preparedness and preparation. How are you coming with your Christmas preparation it's december 3rd is that right today's december 3rd how many of you are in panic mode yet because you don't have everything bought or you don't have all your decorations up or you're just not not quite prepared for where you ought to be any of you that would admit you're just about in panic mode over christmas well it's not supposed to be that way is it? it's supposed to be the most joyous wonderful time of the year preparing for christmas i love this past week Ms. Mohan put a post on Facebook talking about when she was a girl and they would decorate the Christmas tree and it, how it was not the idyllic scene that you would think it would have been when she was a girl that they cut down this huge uh, cedar tree and they'd have to hang the ornaments on it and they'd wind up coming back with uh, almost scabs where the cedar tree would poke them and cut them and, and she said she just it wasn't enjoyable. How many of you get that feeling around this time of year? It's supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year, but it's so stressful and so worrisome that sometimes it just takes all the joy out of it. I read an article 
um, this week about how to have a stress-free Christmas. And it began this way, um, talking about how the National Retail Federation says that 20 to 40% of annual sales for many retailers at Christmas, are, are that's, this is what they depend on. The American economy will generate $563 billion in Christmas sales. There will be 19 billion cards, letters, and packages delivered by the United States Postal Service between Thanksgiving and Christmas. But yet, 70% of people are stressed by lack of time, money, and or the pressure to give or get gifts. Think about this. After the Christmas season, in January, divorce filings are higher than at any other month of the year. During the Christmas season, you are 5% more likely to suffer a heart attack. So prepare to go with the flow. Just let it all happen and enjoy it while it happens. And when you get to January, look back and say, thank you, Lord, that you got us through it. <laughs> so John the Baptist here in this story that we're reading from the Scriptures is one who was preparing. He was making preparations. He was making preparations for Jesus Christ to come onto the scene and to become uh, exalted as the Messiah who had been prophesied about. So this morning as we look at these scriptures, we need to see in our lives a need to prepare ourselves and to prepare our hearts for preparing others to know and to learn and to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The key verse in all these scriptures that we read is this, in, in verse number 2, John preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand or has come near. There are great words of hope here, promise, and there's strength, and there's hope, and there's readiness, and there's also the word repentance that he preaches here. So we journey backwards to before Jesus' baptism to John the Baptist prophesying the Messiah is coming, but the Messiah is already here. So now, now is the time, John is saying, to get right with God, to prepare ourselves for the kingdom that is coming, the kingdom already here. Now, it's, it's in between chapter 2 and chapter 3 in the book of Matthew, there is a 30-year gap there. And when chapter 2 ends, until John the Baptist begins this sermon that he's preaching here, 30 years have gone by and have lapsed before John the Baptist comes into this sermon that he's preaching here. And he burst onto the scene. He's a phenomenon. He comes out of nowhere and he burst onto the scene and he has one simple message. All that he preaches is repentance for sin. And he tells the people that they need to repent. They need to make a 180 degree turn from the self-centered lives that they're living and the wrong actions that have, that have been caused by this self-centeredness and, and their sinful ways, and they need to turn and repent. Now, in true repentance, there is always this. In true repentance, there is always a stopping point and a starting point. There is always a stopping of living the life that we had been living 
a life that was in rebellion to God, and then there is a starting point where we begin to follow God's, God's way, and we begin to follow how God has prescribed through his word for us to live. Now, the first step in that is what we teach every year in Vacation Bible School. What is A in Vacation Bible School? Admit your sin. My Vacation Bible School um, people are here with me this morning. Amen. So we admit our sin. Now, as we admit our sin, God receives us, and he helps us live the way that he wants us to live. Now, what's, the oldest, what's one of the oldest and most frequent excuses you get when you're sharing about Jesus with somebody else? One of the oldest and most frequent excuses you'll get when you're sharing about Jesus with someone else who is lost is they will say this, well, I got some things in my life that I need to get right, and then, and then I'll come to Jesus. I need, I, there's some things in my life I need to get straightened out, and then I'll come to Jesus. Now, how do you answer that question? Good luck, because it's not going to happen. You're not going to straighten your life out on your own without the help of Jesus. I tried it. I, 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 would, I would say to myself over and over, well, I'm going to do better than this. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to try this. I'm gonna, I'm a, and until I gave my life to Jesus, did I understand only God can get rid of sin. He doesn't expect us to clean up our life before we come to him. He expects us to give, uh, give him our life and let him do what only he can. Now, look at verse number 3 here. This is what was prophesied by Isaiah when he talked about John the Baptist. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist prepared the way by preparing others to welcome Jesus. Now, people who do not know Jesus need to get ready to meet Jesus. How many of you realize in the world we live today that most people who are living without Jesus have no idea that they are lost? If you, would, if you tell them that they are lost, they'll look at you like, no, absolutely not, I'm right here. They have no concept of the fact that they are lost and living apart from Jesus, and they have no idea what that really means. So John the Baptist is teaching these people that they need to repent. We prepare, and he's preparing the way for Jesus. We can prepare people by explaining their need for forgiveness. Do you remember that time in your life when you needed forgiveness? Do you remember that time in your life when you were lost and in, in need of forgiveness, how about just simply explaining to them how you came to know that forgiveness? We demonstrate Christ's teaching by our conduct and telling other people how Christ can give their lives meaning. We clear the road for Jesus. We make the path straight for Jesus when we correct those misconceptions that people have that are hindering them from coming to Christ. Now, every person here this morning there's someone that you know that is open to coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Every one of us knows someone who's open to coming into that relationship, and how are we helping those around us to see Christ and to know that? So here's how John the Baptist was doing it. Let's work through these three points this morning. First of all, he was preaching repentance. Repentance is the keynote of all of John the Baptist's preaching. 
it was, it was the central theme of everything that he said. In repentance, he's saying that you make a complete, complete turn from yourself and a complete turn to God. You go in a brand new direction. And John the Baptist was so serious about this message that he preached it with a great sense of urgency. He didn't just tell you to repent. If you read the scripture there, it says repent and there's a comma. And that comma's there for a reason because he's emphasizing something else here. He says because the kingdom of God is at hand. He said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You need to take note that what I'm telling you to do here, you need to do and you need to get in a hurry about it because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's not going to be that much longer before the Messiah comes and you're going to be required to have repented. There was a sense of urgency there about what he's saying. It's deep in his heart and it comes out of his heart through what he says and through how he preaches because he wants these people to not meet the Messiah having not repented of their sins. Now, think about the world that we live in today. Is there any less, should there be any less of a sense of urgency for this same message today than there was when John was preaching it on the shores of the, of the River Jordan there? Should there be any less of a sense of urgency for us today? Absolutely not. Because as we talked about last week, as we talked about the first sermon in this series, we talked about that there is coming a day when Jesus Christ will return, what we call the second coming, He will return, and He will be seen visibly, physically, and He will manifest Himself as the King of kings and Lord of lords, and everyone who sees Him will be required to have known Him through repentance. Now, say, well, Michael, we've been preaching that same sermon ever since Jesus left. Well, yeah, we have. And ever since Jesus left, there, if you go back and read the scriptures that we talked about last week, since Jesus left, there's been floods, there's been famines, there's been, uh, there's been wars, there's been rumors of wars, there's been all of these things, there have been all of these things that Jesus talked about have happened, and yet we still don't see him. The people that Paul and the apostles were preaching to there immediately after Christ's uh, ascension, those people were living in anticipation that Jesus was coming back very soon, and they were living that way. Now here's the number one reason why I think that we are living closer, and it has nothing to do with any of those things that I just talked about. The number one reason that I feel like we're living within the shadow of the return of Christ is this. The church isn't talking about it anymore. The church is as apathetic about the return of Christ as the world is. The world doesn't give a hoot about it. The world doesn't care about it. The world's not interested in it. But come to most of our churches on Sunday morning and you will go, you can sit for 10 years and never hear a preacher talk about the, the second coming of Christ. Am I wrong? No. Turn on your television this afternoon and 75% of the TV preachers that you'll see from this afternoon until next Sunday morning, you won't hear them mention these things. And that is what says in my heart because we are becoming a people who are so apathetic 
and so caught up in the world and so caught up in everything else, it says to me that we're living in that shadow. I think that we're, I think it, we are living in a society that is very much comparable to the society we talked about last week that Noah was living in. Everyone is just going about their daily routine with no worry about the things of the Lord. And the message of John the Baptist introduces the theme of Jesus' teaching. Mark and Luke call it the kingdom of God. And it's the kingdom or the reign of God. It's what the Old Testament prophets had been awaiting. It was going to be God's display of his complete control and his sovereignty in the redeeming of his people. John and Jesus say this. They say that the time of that waiting is over and the king himself, Jesus, has arrived on the scene. Now the kingdom of heaven began when God himself entered human history as fully God and fully man there in a stable in Bethlehem as, um, as Brittany read just a few minutes ago. Now, how did he come to this earth? He came to this earth as, as this earth as a su- earth with an F on the end there. Did you catch that? <laughs> I need to slow down every now and then. Think my my, my words here get uh, get ahead of my my uh, my tongue here. Earth is now spelled with an F at the end. Right? I was not um, I was not in the honor society. Like you can you mark that down. Jesus came to this earth as a suffering servant. He came to this earth to serve and to, and, and to be a servant for others. It's what, it's what was prophesied. But now when he returns, what is he going to come back as? He's going to come back as a king and a judge. And he's going to come back to rule victoriously over all the earth with a TH on the end of it. Now, the abundance, look all through the New Testament, and it makes it clear that repentance is essential. It is the essential element of salvation, of the salvation experience. I have people argue this with me. Now, I'm going to tell you this. Without repentance, there is, there, you're, you're lost. Without repentance, you are lost. And I don't care what form of evangelism you're using. If you're using a form of evangelism that does not talk about repentance, then you are leading people astray as you talk to them about becoming a Christian. Because there is nowhere in the Bible where you can find people coming to Christ without first repenting. So when you share the gospel, you better understand repentance. Because you're going to be held accountable for how you you share it. In response to the call of God in one's life, there has to be repentance. And repentance is this. It is the willful determination to turn from a life of sin and ruling your own life to a life where you give your life completely to God and God rules your life and you live in His righteousness. Many people came to John and they made this radical move in their life and they demonstrated that by being baptized. So John came preaching repentance, and then he came proclaiming the truth, as we see in verses 5 through 7. Now, let me ask you this question. What attracts a crowd at a church today? What attracts a crowd at a church today? 
Think about it for a minute. You can say something out loud if you want to. Say again. Man, y'all are some Baptists. Food, did y'all say food or mood? Food. Isn't that something? We live in a world of where we live in a world of where food is what might attract people to church. My grandfather used to say this. My grandfather was a pastor for 40 years. And my grandfather said, if those people down the street can get people to come to church with a hot dog, I can get those people to come to my church with a hamburger. Think about it. Whoever has the best menu. I, I, I saw it in student ministry for years. If I had better pizza than the Methodist, I had more kids. If the Methodists had better pizza than me, they had more kids. Am I wrong? No, I'm right. Banana pudding. I just sent all the tierces into a uh, into a shiver. <laughs> Here's what attracts people to church these days. Programs. Not ministries, but programs. A charismatic preacher. Now, I'm not talking charismatic in Pentecostal. I'm talking charismatic as in personality. How many of you ever heard, well, he's a wonderful communicator. I can't even say earthright. I... <laughs> One of my children told me this week, he said, Daddy, I just don't understand the English language. I said, you got it on us, son. <laughs> Charismatic preachers. We would rather fill our pulpits with people who have personality than people who know God's word and people who are obedient to God's word and people who are on their knees through the week with God's word praying, God, fill me up because I don't understand this without you. And unfortunately, now music, music, we, we base whether or not we're going to go to a church based on music. This is still most important. This is still most important. This is what we come for. This is what we're here for. What did Jesus say? What, what's even as, as important as this, the truth of God's word is what's important whether or not we're proclaiming God's word is what should be important. And what did Jesus say? Did Jesus say my house is going to be a house of preaching? Did he say my house is going to be a house of music? Did he say my house is going to be a house of the best lighting show? He said my house is going to be what? A house of what? House of prayer. He's going to judge us someday on how we prayed as a church. Are you with me? Are you with me? He's not gonna, he's gonna judge us someday on how we prayed as a church. I've had people tell me how I went to this church. I have a friend who told me just this week, I was at one church and on Wednesday nights, I all we did was pray. When I went to the when I interviewed for the next church, they said, You're not gonna make us pray on Wednesdays, are you? That's when you know not to take the job. Why did John attract so many people? Here's why John attracted so many people, because they had been waiting for 400 years to hear the truth. They'd been waiting for 400 years to hear the truth of, the God, of, of God's word. And John comes along, he burst onto the scene. Think about this image of John. 
He is dressed in camel's hair. He's got a leather belt around him. And he's out in the wilderness eating wild honey and locusts. He is an odd dude. But here's what he's doing. He is preaching the word. He's preaching the truth of the word. Some people probably came simply out of curiosity and they ended up turning from their sin as they listened to his powerful message. John was a curious fellow. He was an odd curiosity. Now here's what I want you to realize. So should you be. So should you be. You should be an odd curiosity in this world. Because what is the Christian life? The Christian life is a curiosity to this world. Think about what the Christian life teaches. The Christian life teaches humility in a world where the world wants to be promoted to the highest spot. The Christian life teaches service when in, in, we live in a world where it's all about what somebody can do for me. The Christian life expresses giving when we live in a world that's all about getting. And the Christian life stresses our weakness for a Savior as this world proclaims that we should be our own Savior and live in our own strength. Now, how many people do you know who are curious about your Christian lifestyle? How many people are curious about the values that you have? And how can you use their curiosity as an opener to share how Jesus has made a difference in your life? Now, John is drawing these people out. He's teaching repentance, and they are baptized as a result. Now, I know most of you don't believe this, but sometimes my hands get dirty. I know y'all think that preachers never get their hands dirty, but sometimes my hands get dirty. Normally it's from cooking. But when my hands are dirty and I wash them, and I wash them for a while, there's a visible difference immediately in my, in, in my hands. They're, they're clean. John uses baptism, the water of baptism, as a symbolic action. That people could see. He knew that their repentance and their turning from sin. Was something that um, was happening inside. And that sometimes it wasn't visible immediately. How many of you are living a different life today. After you became a Christian. After you, after you repented of your sins. And you found forgiveness with Christ. How many of you are living a lot different Christian life now. Than you were immediately after you got saved. Probably all of us, most of us. We have grown into being who we are. Sometimes it's not automatically visible um, in, in every phase of our lives. But Christian baptism has symbolism also. When someone meets with me on Sunday morning before we go to the waters of baptism, or when I go to someone's house to talk to them about baptism, I talk about the symbolism of baptism. I talk about going under the water and how it represents that Jesus was in a tomb for three days and that he was buried. And I talk about how it symbolizes that we have buried our sins. And then as we come up out of the water, it symbolizes that Jesus was resurrected from that death by the power of God. And that as we come up out of the water, we're symbolizing that we have a new life through the same power that resurrected Jesus. Say amen. So, John's baptism was symbolizing repentance and purification. Our Christian baptism, what do we say? 
when myself or Seth normally are in the bab- are in the baptistry, who do we baptize you in the name of? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are saying that we have been baptized into a tr- the Trinity and that we have a union now with Christ the Son. Our baptism is about a new life. It's a cleansing that begins inside. It begins in our soul. And it, it's a changed life with a new and different behavior that makes our repentance real and visible to other people. Now John was doing this, and let's finish up. He was proving fruit in people's lives. The main scripture there, he says that we should bear fruit worthy of repentance. He's saying that we should have an inner righteousness that changes us and not just an outward conformity. John the Baptist called people to more than words or rituals. He told them to change their behavior. He said, prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins. It means that God looks beyond our words and religious activities to see if our conduct backs up what we say. And he judges our words by the actions that accompany them. So do our actions match our words? When people say that they're a Christian, do you see fruit in their life Do you see fruit in their life that they are bearing from their repentance? Because there should be fruit. Now, I'm not a judge. I can't judge what's inside someone, but I am a fruit inspector. And it's easy to be a fruit inspector because you can see. I don't know how many times I've been in Billy Bob or Bubba's house and witnessed to them and ask them, and they'll, oh yeah, man, I'm a Christian. I'm a, I'm a Christian. I, I, I prayed that prayer when I was a little boy. I prayed, yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, Billy Bob, where are you going to church? Oh, I don't, I don't care nothing about going to church. I don't like church. I don't like to be around people. One of the first evidences of you being in a relationship with Jesus is you're going to want to be with Jesus' people. Amen? Well, Billy Bob, what about this uh, 12-pack you dive into every afternoon? Oh, well, preacher, you meddling now. Where's the evidence of the fruit of your salvation? Preacher, you need to go. I apologize. But here, a fruit tree is expected to bear what? fruit now I searched all over this church this morning couldn't find any fruit but I did find an egg now on the outside what is just by seeing this what what do you know that it is it's an egg all right what do you expect to see inside of it yo if I bust this egg and french fries come out, what does it say to you? Magic. It wasn't an egg. All right, but if, if I bust this egg, oh, let's see if I can do this without getting it all over the advent wreath. 
Uh, what I get? So what's the proof there? It's an egg. So when we say we're a Christian, what ought to come out of us? The things of Christ. The ways of Christ. Now I'm not saying that everybody who's sitting at home this morning or everybody who has a problem with this or that, I'm not saying that they're not a Christian. I, I, I know people who are going through great struggles and I have ministered to people who are going through great struggles that I believe they, they, they were a Christian. But if you can live your life for, and you never show any fruit through your whole life, then more than likely there's a spiritual problem that needs to be addressed. Now, it's upsetting to people when you preach this. And it upset the people that John the Baptist was preaching to. What did he call these people that, that walked up to hear his sermon? He called them a what? Brood of vipers. Now, what he's saying is God has no use for people who call themselves Christians and live otherwise. These words cut the Pharisees who considered themselves to be the righteous people of their day. How does this cut the world? Think about this verse right here. John 14, 6 says this. I am the, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Just as John the Baptist's words cut the Pharisees there that day, John 14, 6 cuts the world this day, and it separates us in what we say and what we believe. The most important fruit that we can bear in this world today is our unapologetic and steadfast belief in what Jesus said when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. Because if you believe that in the world that we live in today, you're going to be challenged on your belief, you're going to be singled out in your belief, you're going to be told that you're bigoted, that you're narrow-minded, and that you're hateful. You're not going to be as it was when many of you were a children. Children, you're not going to be revealed in the, revered in the society that we live in today because you say that you're a Christian. You're going to be looked at with a lot of bias that they're accusing us of looking at the world with. Now, John was unapologetic and he was steadfast in what he believed in. But here's what John the Baptist knew about himself. In verse number 11, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now here, the truth about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the most sought-after preacher in Israel for centuries. They had been waiting on John the Baptist to come and preach this message for 400 years. They had been waiting on him to come and preach this message. And when he comes and preaches this message, he preaches it in humility. Wouldn't you love to hear John the Baptist preach? Wouldn't you like to have been there in the wilderness and heard John the Baptist preach one of his sermons? I've had the great pleasure this week 
to listen to sermons by Johnny Hunt, Adrian Rogers, Jim Cimbala, and, and uh, Jenison Franklin. I've listened to their sermons this week, and they are good. They're real good. Sometimes while I'm listening to them, maybe this voice in my head says, you ought to quit. But man, wouldn't it have been something to hear John the Baptist? To hear him preach this simple message of repentance? But here's what John the Baptist knew. And all of the crowd that was coming out to seek him, John the Baptist knew that he was nothing compared to Jesus and that his only job, he has one job, and that job is to prepare the way for Jesus. You hear that say, I think it's on Monday Night Football before you had one job, or maybe on Sports Center. They do a segment where you had one, you only had one job. You've seen it, Layton? You only had one job and you messed that up. John the Baptist was not going to mess this up. He was going to do what God had called him to do. He was going to preach repentance and he was going to clear the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. His job was to prepare other people's hearts for the coming of the Messiah. And he did his job. Now what, what, is, what, is John, what happens to John? John's crowd, this big crowd that's there at the River Jordan, we, being baptized by him, where do they all begin to start drifting? Where, are G, where does Jesus find his first disciples? Oh, my goodness. Huh? They were John's. They were John's disciples. Jesus' first disciples had been John's disciples. But what did John say? When John's crowd began to move and go to be with Jesus, what was John's attitude? I must what? I must decrease so that he, he can increase. That has to be the attitude of the believer, the follower of Jesus, has to be, I have to decrease because I want Jesus to increase in me. And the more that we practice repentance as we go through our life, the more that we know that Jesus is becoming greater in our lives than we are. Now, what is our job as we prepare for Christmas? Now, my job at my house as we prepare for Christmas is mostly to stay out of the way. Bree put all the decorations up on November the 1st without any input from me other than I'm glad you waited until after Halloween. My job Christmas Day will be to cook a little bit, but other than that, my job is mainly to stay out of the way. So, some of you have great responsibilities at Christmas, great things that you have to prepare for. But what is our job? I'm going to preach a, ser a series of sermons on prayer next month in January, and I think the title is going to be, What If You Only Had One Job? But our job Right now, as believers, as we go into this season of Christmas and the celebration of the birth of Christ, our job is to prepare the way, is to prepare our hearts, to prepare our hearts to be able to prepare the way for other people to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's what we're called to do. My job is to prepare my heart as I'm studying to preach, as I'm talking to Micah about what we're going to preach. My job is to prepare my heart 
no matter what else is going on, no matter what distractions I have in my life, no matter what is going on, my job is to prepare to preach and to encourage others to prepare their lives so that they can prepare other people to come to know Jesus Christ. Is that very hard? That's a lot easier job than some of you are going to have as you're untangling lights and you're trying to figure out which section of the tree goes next or what you did with the stockings from last year. Our job as Christians is simply this, prepare our hearts so that we can prepare others to come into a relationship with Jesus. One of the ways we do that is through, even as a Christian, is through repentance. Even as a Christian, sometimes we have to repent from how we've been living and turn from some of the things that we are experiencing in our lives. This morning, as we have a time of invitation and a time of reflection and a time of worship, would you examine your heart and see, are there things I need to turn from so that I can, my heart can be prepared to help prepare the way for other people? And if you're here this morning and you've never come to that place where you've heard the gospel preached this morning, you've never come to that place where you have repented of your sins, you've asked for forgiveness of those sins, would you come this morning and let us take Scripture and show you scripturally how you can do that this morning and you can begin to know that you have a home in eternity in a place called heaven and we'll begin to put you on a journey of discipleship so that you can know and you can grow. Maybe you're like some of these people at the River Jordan, you need to be baptized, or you know that you need to be a part of this fellowship. Whatever your decision is this morning, make it, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's pray as you stand. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Thank you for the message. And I pray, dear Father, I ask you, Lord, I ask you, Father, to speak to our hearts, to speak truth into our hearts, and to show us where we need to repent and where we need to prepare our hearts to be able to prepare others. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.